and all of the functional capability of our mind we cannot fathom how much the Lord loves us if we think about the size of this room and then the city nation the planet galaxies the scripture says that the Lord has made space within himself for all of creation that he is beyond and outside of and in encapsulating and indwelling all of these things and that from that high and massive and just expansive place he is personally and intimately in love with us what an what an unfathomable truth what an amazing thing and it's because of this truth and many others that we, we praise. We raise our hands and we, we open our heart and we sing songs and we bring thanksgiving before the Lord because He doesn't need us and He chooses to, to accept us, to desire us, to want us. And if we don't praise Him, who will? Scripture says the earth will grow, the rocks will cry out. He will, he will, he will get what's due him. But I pray this morning that, that those who sit in this room, as many as there are, as little as there are, it doesn't matter. That we would raise our hands and say, "I want to praise the Lord." Count me up, or count me in, sign me up, because I want to be a partaker in the worship and praise of the Almighty God of the universe. So we just do that this morning. Won't you pray with me? Lord, we praise your name. We lift you high. We exalt you up because that is your rightful place. You are deserving of thanksgiving. You're deserving of offerings and alms and praise. Lord, we, we, we push these things out to you, not unwillingly or, or, or begrudgingly, but Father, rather we, we offer them up to you. We toss our crowns before your feet. We sing your praise in your name. We enter into your courts and we just become thankful. We're so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for your sacrifice that you didn't have to give, but yet you did. You went above and beyond, Lord. And for your Son, who you loved perfectly and gave up, for your word says that it pleased you to crush the Son. Wow. And by his stripes, we were healed, Lord, that your son made a way from the, across a chasm where there was previously no way. And by faith, we believe in him and his resurrection, and we sing praise for that as well. Lord, may we never forget. May we always be thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much for coming this morning. You can be seated. My name is, is Beck, and, and well, I work here. Uh, this, this is the side of the church that we would call Ichabod. <laughs> Sorry, you, that was a Bible joke. Nobody gets it. Okay, never mind. Uh, uh, we just want you to know that this side is open as well, uh, unless you, your guys are lepers or something. Anyway, uh, welcome again. As many of you haven't been here before, we're so thankful that you would come this morning.
and uh, first service was out of this world, man. It was it was awesome, and uh, maybe this one will even be better. That's what we're praying for as well. Next week we can say, man, you guys missed out on second service. <laughs> uh, but just a quick a few announcements for you before we get going with the service here this morning. You should all have a bulletin, a little pamphlet here. Does somebody have one that I can show off? Going once, going twice. Hey, there it is. Very good. One of these uh, right here. If you're interested in or have questions about the happenings at ESS during the week as well as throughout um, uh, a Sunday service, I want you to refer to this. This will be your best tool um, for knowing what's going on. Just a couple highlights here. We do have our, our monthly family potluck happening on the 29th of uh, October. This is after second service. We will all gather together and enjoy some fellowship and food. This is a good time for kids to meet each other and play around and skin their knees and for me to taste test all of your guys' food uh, abilities. Uh, anyway, if you are interested in getting in contact with a pastor or somebody here at ESS, you can find a way to connect with us. We're on social media. You can email us, give us a call. Also, one final point. All of the sermons uh, here at ESS are on iTunes. Um, you can find them uh, at the uh, the podcast center or on your uh, Android podcast device center as well. You can uh, find that as well. They're free, and they, they'll they chronicle back uh, to before we were at this building. So you can keep up with us in the Book of Romans as well as any other study that we are in. Okay, this is a time here at Jesus we value very much where we hear from the body of Christ about uh, something that the Lord has done in regard to a testimony. And uh, this week we are having uh, Mr. Clay Collins come up. So why don't you give him a round of applause. Thanks a lot. Uh, in the first service, Beck talked about uh, intimacy with God and... Um, some of you know my whole testimony. I don't have time to say it all right now, but uh, what it boils down to is I, I'm in a place in my life forever where I know how much I need God every moment of every day. Um, some really amazing things have happened uh, in my life the last couple of weeks. Uh, last weekend I moved and I needed to buy a bed and I had something all worked out and then it didn't work out. And so I just said, you know, uh, the Lord will provide. And I kind of made it into a quick prayer like the Lord will provide. That was it. Then I looked at my phone and there was a ad on Facebook, somebody was selling a full-size bed for $25. I'm like, oh, well, that's going to save me a lot of money. So uh, I ended up with that one. Um, I literally, I mean, five seconds after, there it was. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my check engine light came on in my van, and I just looked at it and said, Lord, would you fix my engine? I just don't, like, I probably don't have the money. I don't know what's wrong. About three days later, the check engine light stopped coming on. Um, and then my right blinker wouldn't work. And I was like, oh, all right, well, I can take care of that if you want me to, but if you don't mind. And then my right blinker started working. So, I mean, it's like that. It's like God loves you that much, that much. Um, I wanted to share some scriptures with you this morning. Uh, the first one is Micah 6, 8. The Lord has shown you what is good. He's told you 
what he requires of you. You must treat people fairly, you must love others faithfully, and you must be very careful to live the way your God wants you to. Uh, in the King James Version, uh, that last verse is, walk humbly with your God. Um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, it's uh, 28 and 29, one of my favorite verses. Don't you know who made everything? Haven't you heard about him? The Lord is the God who lives forever. He created everything on earth. He won't become worn out or get tired. No one will ever know how great his understanding is. He gives strength to those who are tired. He gives power to those who are weak. So my encouragement for you is just don't be afraid to be weak because in our weakness, he is strong. It's good, you know, I told the first service that when Clay first got to ESS, he was kind of a man without a tribe. He just kind of walked in, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a place, you know, as if he was this lowly body and that we were this, you know, high exalted covering and he needed uh, us to help him. And over time, you know, he started getting invested in worship and coming to Bible studies and uh, ingraining himself into the relationships of the, of the body of this church. And soon we realized that we needed Clay as much as he needed us, you know. There becomes a part or a time in every person's walk in the local church. We don't talk about this much. And it's necessary that we do talk about it. Where you become a part that we could have never lived without of. Where we on staff or leadership say, how do we ever do it without them? Like what? And there's, there's many of you in this church and have done this for years where you show up on Sundays and you kind of, you roll out, you, you receive of the body and then we don't add anything back in. I'm coming here to tell you this morning that there is just as much to learn and to grow in the Lord by offering to your local community in the church as there is by taking from it. We want you to be a part of something, not a consumer of it. And so we invite you in just like Clay uh, to, to walk humbly with the Lord and say, I'm here, how can I help? And for us to say, man, we're so thankful for that. How can we help you? That is the body of Christ growing together. So really, thank you so much for that, brother. It's a good word. Okay, we're going to stand to our feet for, for a few minutes, say hello to each other, uh, hand out some hugs, diss out some high fives. Knucklers are too advanced for you, though. And uh, uh, the worship team will bring us back in just a second. Bye. And what that should do is it should bring us to our knees. Really, it should produce in us a spirit of gratitude, of being thankful. And I believe that the song we're about to sing next here is, uh, it's just, Oh, Come to the Altar. Yes, Jesus. Father, I love this song so much. Just the words. Oh, come to the altar. I love it so much, Father, that the altar is always open. But when we approach your throne, God, you want us to do it in a way that not only honors you, but ah, I guess in the way that we honor you, Father, we, we leave ourselves behind. You never say that our stuff isn't important because... It may or may not be according to you. But Lord, you tell us to, to set it down. And then you tell us what to pick back up. 
But Father, it takes us laying all of this on the altar. And you will give back to us what you want to give back to us. So Father, this morning, I pray that we can submit to that this morning. We can submit to you. We can give you everything that we have. We can lay everything down. And only pick up what you tell us to pick up. Because what we pick up, Father, it will be righteous. It will be that which you have approved. And therefore, Father, we don't need to second guess it. We can be a strong, confident people because what we're carrying, we know, is exactly what you told us to carry. In your word, you say that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. Lord, we want to side with you against ourselves this morning. Because of that. Because your burden is easy and your yoke is light. But here we are. Lord, we pray that our worship makes you get up out of your seat, Father. It moves you. So continue to be here in this room today. Let the Spirit flow. In Jesus' name, Father. We need you. We love you. And everybody said, Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, God is in the room. Amen. Jesus is here, and I love it. Some about harmonies, I'm telling you, just set a brother off. Okay? It ushers in the Holy Spirit. And I'm just so excited about this message. Not that I wasn't excited about first service, but I can just feel the Lord here right now. And so, yeah, you guys can say amen and come on and all that stuff. I love it. I love all of that. It's good. Um... But we're going to be continuing in chapter 9 of the book of Romans. And I believe as though, I believe the same as what happened first service, that the Lord wants to stir something up. There's a stirring going on. Didn't really have a, a good hold on it, first service. But I believe that the Lord has given me more language for it now. Okay? So, we always say, he can take the message and pitch it right out the window. He can do that. However, I believe that there's some, some connection with what he wants to do today uh, and, and the message, which is obviously good. It's obviously his doing. Um, but at any moment in the message, I just kind of completely stop and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to get on our faith because <laughs> that's what's needed. Man, we want to be open to that. You know, church on a Sunday morning doesn't always have to be just worship, um, hanging out, and then a message, and then we all go home. And I want you to encounter Christ this morning. Amen? Amen. So let's see what he has for us. You know, uh, we got off of chapter 8 last Sunday. And to be honest with you, I've said this before, that chapter 8, if you don't get chapter 8, you can't really get the rest of the book of Romans, specifically the end of chapter 8. From chapter 1 all the way up until chapter 8, Paul does an amazing job of showing us how we need Jesus, why man needs God, and why God is so, again, I've said this past couple weeks, for us and not against us. He's on our side. We need to side with ourselves, excuse me, with him against ourselves. Right? But then he, it, it all bottlenecks to this one statement that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. You don't get through that. 
and understand what the love of Christ is, this agape love that we talked about last Sunday, it's real hard to really understand God, Christ himself, period, but the rest of the book of Romans. Because as we read through chapter 9, 10, and 11, you would think that Paul changes his narrative, but he really doesn't. He just starts to speak about his heart towards Israel. So, again, can't get to chapter 9, obviously, until we read 1 through 8, but it bottlenecks at the end of chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No height, no, no, nor depth, nor things to come, nor things present, nor angels, principalities. Man, that is such a love story. And then we get into Paul expressing his sorrow. I'm just going to jump right after it. Towards the condition of Israel. Now what I so appreciate about Paul doing that is that we can get to a place where we think Paul's changing his narrative, but what Paul becomes in these first five verses is a representation of the agape love we talked about last week. See, we can come in church, a church house, whether it be a Tuesday night Bible study or, I mean, we have practice here on Thursday nights for worship. doesn't matter what church function it could be. If you come and you rub shoulders with people who have Christ in them, and you rub shoulders with the Spirit. This morning, ladies and gentlemen, we have rubbed shoulders with the Spirit. To leave here not changed, to leave here in, a, in the same condition that we came in, would be a travesty. Right? I, and that's me saying the same thing in a different way. I told, uh, I'm going to be the pastor who beats a dead horse all the time. Because I, I want us to get it. Not only do I want you to be changed when you walk out of here, but here we have an example of Paul being changed by the very agape love that changed him and then what? Being an example of it. Am I an example of the Wednesday night Bible study? The things that I learn in that or what Beck learns in that or whoever goes to that learns in that? Am I an example of uh, being a good leader on a Thursday night? worship or Monday night leadership meeting? Am I being an example? Is the agape love coming out because I'm spending time on my knees in the carpet with a God that I cannot be separated from? He does not want to separate himself from me. You guys, you guys on the same track with me? Being this example. So we have this title that says love's perfect result. What does that mean? It means that if love is in you, the result of that should be something. It should present itself as something. So let me read these scriptures and then we'll continue. But are we all on the same page? Amen. Amen. Listen to this after Paul tells us that he's convinced. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. I, uh, excuse me, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service, 
in the promises. Whose are the fathers? And from whom is the Christ according to the flesh? Who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. That boy jumps off into saying, look, I'm being for real. However you say that to your friends, and like, hey amen, on my mom. That's what people say. Hand on the Bible. On everything that I love. Paul in, is in essence taking that ten times deeper. Why? Because he says it three times, but he connects it to something. The first, he says, I'm telling the truth. Not in Paul's feelings. Not in what he sees going on. Not in his perception. Not in, again, how he feels in the moment. Which we need to get away from letting our life be run by feelings. Let's let them be run by facts. But he's saying, I'm telling the truth in Christ. Okay, that's a big deal. You ever said that to anybody? I think I might start saying it. Man, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. You better, you got to give me $500 right now. <laughs> Just kidding. But then he says, I'm not lying. And then he brings in a third party, almost, second party. Says, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Let's bring the Holy Spirit in, testify with a brother that look, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Now, who is that for? It's for the Israelites. He says that in verse 4. Uh, am I correct in saying that it's verse 4? Yes, the beginning of verse 4. Now, I have used the example in the past. Man, has anybody in here ever been hurt? Yes, we've all been hurt by certain things. Have you ever been proverbially slapped in the face? Emotionally slapped in the face? Something ripped out of you? Physically, emotionally, spiritually even? Um, those are hard things. We go through those things sometimes on the daily, right? Well, if Paul is speaking about the Israelites... And he's saying, I have a great sorrow in my heart for these people. It's really helpful for us to understand Paul's connection with the Israelites, especially in his ministry. You could probably say that the Israelites were Paul's worst enemy when it came to ministry. And why was that? Because no matter where he went, they were always opposing him. They were always throwing him in jail. They were always beating him up, literally, physically, keeping him from uh, nourishment, uh, what we read as a cross-reference last week, going through Paul's uh, summing up, basically, while he was defending his ministry, we saw a list of everything that he'd been through. A lot of that is connected to these people. So what sense would it make that he is here now saying, look, these people who have not treated me very well, I have great sorrow in my heart for them. You cannot produce that on your own. It is a, it's diametrically opposed to what the world says for us and how the world shows us to react to somebody who hurts you. You got all these Facebook quotes and memes and stuff that are like, oh, if someone hurts you, turn the other cheek. You know? Or just use the, the haters as motivation. I can't stand that. But it's this commentary that comes from the world that's just like, you know what? Leave people behind if they hurt you. Cut them off if they're not what you want them to be. Don't associate with blah, 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 blah. All on the premise of, man, they've caused me pain. I am probably the most guilty one in here of that. 
And when the Lord told me, brother, you're going to be a pastor someday, I was like, um, I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> and he has so changed my view on not only people who have hurt me in the past, but how I see them now and, and love on them. It's not easy. But that's the flesh in me speaking, right? Here's Paul being an example of love's perfect result. Because for a man to have been uh, persecuted that much, who was also a part of the persecution, persecuting, before he got knocked off his horse, right? Uh, to then now say, I have a love for these people that goes so deep that here's what the next part of the scripture says. It's not just, man, I feel bad for them because they're rejecting Christ in this moment. But he's saying this, I wish, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, comma, separated from Christ for the sake of for the sake of. He becomes an example of this agape love. It's so easy to love somebody when it's coming back. It's so easy to be around somebody who wants to be around you. Right? It's not that easy to be around somebody who doesn't really want you in the room. Or you be around somebody where you're like, hey, guess what? I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> but he's saying, for I could wish... That I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen. Now, here's something that I brought in first service a little earlier than I have now. But we got a lot of stuff going on in our nation. I woke up Monday morning to something that happened Sunday night in Las Vegas. Right? News notifications all over my phone, 50 plus dead, 200 to 400 in the hospital. People were, were, man, seriously affected by this tragedy. It is considered the greatest in American history of its nature. Now, as we talk about this as a staff, I'm thinking to myself, why, well, the thought came out, it was presented, it didn't really come from me, but why are they ranked? Well, for, for sheer number purposes, that's probably why they're ranked. But what about if it was just one person and not 450 or 250? Why is it that all of a sudden we pay attention when it's on a grand scale and a crazy amount of people have lost their lives? See, I believe and have seen this in myself with other situations. Let's just talk about Houston, or not Houston, um, just Texas with the hurricane, Harvey, and also Irma in Florida, and any other tropical storm hurricane that's hit any other region of the world. We hear about it on the news, and then we talk about it the day after, and oh my goodness, we gotta pray. We'll do that, man, my heart goes out. Second day. Man, got to pray, heart goes out. By Wednesday, it's like, oh, I'm not really thinking about it anymore. Thursday, Friday, Saturday comes around, it's not even in your conversation. But people lost their lives. Why are we still not thinking about that? Why is it that I'm not burdened enough like Paul is for people who I don't even know or people who I do know? 
And then down the road, it kind of loses its kick, if you will. We become desensitized. We become desensitized to how serious God is about every life. Every single life. Now, it was the first time that I woke up and saw something on the TV and had like an emotional response. Because people are at a concert having a grand time. And just the videos that you see of this thing, man, you just got to, I got to swipe left. I can't, I can't watch it. But does my heart hurt for those people? Or do I get to a place where I just say, it's not in my camp, so we'll let the people who it does touch, we'll let them affect, or let it affect them more so than it affects me. I cannot produce in myself a sorrow for those people unless it comes from the seed of the agape. You cannot produce a sorrow in yourself for someone you either know or don't, don't know unless it comes from the agape. Now, Paul is on... The, the, the side of agape that, that, you know, brings sorrow. But I do want you to know that there is the other side. The love that is uh, greater than anything you've ever experienced. But I'll tell you why it's greater than anything you've ever experienced. Because God has every reason and every right today to wipe us out. And he doesn't do it. He just doesn't. You guys have heard me say that before plenty of times. But that's why it's so amazing because it's unconditional. It keeps coming. But do we take it for granted? Because when it comes, we are made in his likeness, right? We are. That means that when we say yes to Christ, that same agape love resides in me. For me to, what, be a conduit for that to come out. So with that being said, Again, I cannot produce this, but when Christ is in me, I'm supposed to be the perfect example of it. Now, can we be perfect? I, I might get some emails on this. I think we can. Because of who Christ is in us. We got the flesh to deal with. We got sin to deal with. All right? We don't have to pay the penalty of sin anymore because of salvation. But here's what I'm saying. If he is in us and he is perfect, when we let ourselves go, what else is going to come out? His perfect love. Oh, it might be a fight sometimes, but guess what? Let it come out. Yes. Now, I'm going to say this before I move on. There is no amount of first responders. There's no amount of firemen, policemen, uh, psychiatrists, people who counsel, who will be able to help, I guess, on the scale that is needed for those people who watched people get shot. What do you say to that? That's a spiritual issue. So what I'm asking all of us in here to pray for is the churches in Las Vegas to get ready for the influx of people who don't know where else to go. And for when they do walk in the front door, that those churches are preaching the gospel and not pushing programs. Does that make sense? That's how important it is for us to not only operate in this agape love, but for you to do your peace. And for your peace to be genuine. And for your peace to come from what Scripture says and not from self. And what the Lord does, I love Him. He doesn't let you lose yourself in the process, which is so great. Amen?
There goes the microphone. Yeah, I did that for effect. What effect, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, it's a mic drop. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my kinsmen, my brethren, my, kings, uh, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. As I read that section right there, and move on, I'm just going to move on to the next, the next thing. Who are the Israelites to whom belong? Okay, here we go. Paul starts with a list here. He says, uh, the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Not only am I trying to encourage us this morning, ladies and gentlemen, in letting love's perfect result be something that's manifested in you and you're an example of it. The first three verses, that's what Paul shows us. Let's be the manifestation of agape love. He then reads something about the Israelites and what was given to the Israelites. That list right there, uh, as it's been brought forth, shows about privilege and responsibility. If the Israelites were not only privileged to carry these things to the rest of the world, but it was their responsibility to carry those things to the rest of the world. Now, he has, Paul has a conviction, or excuse me, has a sorrow, deep sorrow in his heart for recognizing a um, details within a body of people that they're supposed to carry to the world and that's being dropped. And I used the word early and I shouldn't have. But, but what that causes in Paul is a conviction. Okay? A conviction that causes him to do something about it. Now I spoke about this in um, first service when it came to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was burdened with something, was he not? He was burdened because of the state of affairs in Jerusalem. And that burden caused him to go act. Now ladies and gentlemen, are we burdened and convicted enough to act on what God has put in us? Simply because we love those people. The love that we are standing on, this agape love, should bring a conviction. Or are we convicted by anger? Or are we convicted by injustice? Those are all good things, not anger, to be convicted by. Like there's an injustice, man, I want to go make that right. But when it's on a plate of love and it's on that agape foundation, it comes across as love's perfect result for a person or a place or a community or a body of people or a nation or a world. It's a righteous, how do I say this? It's a righteous conviction. It's the right kind of sorrow. It's a sorrow that leads us to action and not a sorrow that leads us to what? Stiff arm. Just say, you're out of here. Does that make sense this morning? Now, from top to bottom, 
I'm going to read this one more time and I'm going to bring this last piece to you. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh? who is overall. God bless forever. Amen. Last little bit here. The other place that we see this in Scripture is Exodus 32. And it comes from Moses. Now Moses, I know anything about Moses, was called to lead people out. Right? They were only supposed to be in the wilderness 40 days. They end up being there 40 years. Uh, as you read more about Moses, he was the individual who walked up the mountain. God spoke to him, gave him the Ten Commandments, came down. Obviously, it's a paraphrased version. <laughs> read it so you know the details. I just don't have time to jump into it this morning. But here's where we pick this story up. Moses has this same conviction in him. As Paul says, on the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, these people, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. And here's verse 32. Here's where it's at. But now, if you will, Forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. You know, I don't have kids, but there's people in here who got kids. And I can only imagine that the closest we could get to wanting to take on pain for somebody is from a parent-to-child relationship. Um... And what we see here with not only Paul and Moses is this ability, not by themselves, I don't believe that, but this yearning in them for them to be the one who takes the wrath of God rather than the people who are the one who are the, um, the oppressors, the ones who are at fault. He says, nah, let me do it. Moses steps in, let me do it, if you will. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to bring this word to the front that can be kind of scary. It can be kind of scary because it can leave you feeling like you have zero control. Anybody got control issues in here? I'm just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> boop, boop, real quick. Um... I don't believe that Paul would be able to have that type of love for anybody. I don't believe Moses would be able to have that type of love for anyone 
had they not been, here it is, intimate with the Lord. Here, pin drop on that one. For us to be able to step into even carrying the agape love into any circumstance, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, intimacy with Christ, intimacy with the Lord, I'm not going to say is one of. I'm going to say it's the only way. And here's why. Because there are circumstances that you are living in right now that are the same as they were five years ago and five minutes ago and everything in between. We're wondering why they haven't changed. We're wondering why am I still here in this? Because through intimacy, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord will impart to you things for the future and things for the present. But what cannot stay in the present and be taken into the future is how we did it back there in the past. The bridge is intimacy. To be able to let that type of love come through you, the peace that possibly could be missing for us this morning. I'm not going to say it is or it isn't. I'm going to let you and God talk about that. He's calling us to a deeper level of intimacy. I see intimacy in these first five verses. To have somebody, somebody's heart break for people who oppressed him. You got to have some kind of intimacy with the Lord for that to happen. But I don't, I don't want to just chalk it up to some kind of intimacy. That kind of desensitizes it, right? Yeah. Guys, I'm talking about the, the depth of this intimacy will force you to change who you are. It will force you to change how you do things. It will force you to change how you think and what you think on. But it's all motivated, number one, by love and by Christ. How did we say this as we look through the latter parts of chapter 8? At the end of your life, you're looking just like him. It's all for that purpose. I'm telling you this morning, some, some things can't stay. They just can't. And this call to the altar that I was talking to you about before we sang this song, I believe that the Lord is going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And respond to it again. Using Nehemiah. I love the dude. The Lord did something to him. And he responded by getting up and going somewhere. He had to get permission from the authorities above him. But he went. Now, we don't force anybody to do anything here. Nothing. I mean, sometimes I'm like, okay, let's sing. So I'm kind of forcing you to sing. Put your hands up in the air. Just kidding. I'm not going to force you to come down to the altar today. God might be doing something with you right where you are sitting. And you will know if it's real when you walk out of this building and you're a different person. The same situation presents itself that may be tempting or the, that cyclical thing that just keeps right here. It's just there. When it presents itself and you say no to it and, it's, and you're good, then we'll know that there's a change. You'll know that there's a change. But sometimes it takes getting up out of your seat and walking through a threshold. I want y'all to walk into a room of intimacy with the Lord. Yeah. But you got to walk. You got to pass through the threshold, ladies and gentlemen. You got to do it. Yeah. 
I'm going to challenge you to do that this morning. Uh, I believe that there's uh, a little bit from uh, Pastor Teacher Beck who is going to get up here and kind of usher us into that moment. But are you catching me this morning? Paul in his expression of the condition of Israel shows something about the condition of his heart and how that got there. What can we glean from that? There's so much historical significance to those five verses and all the things that were given to the Israelites. Um, Paul and his dealings with them, which is so interesting because Paul used to be one of the ones persecuting Christians, right? And then the Lord, in an act of love, knocked him off of his horse, blinded him for three days. Immediately, when, his, when the scales fell off his eyes, what did he do? What does the scripture say that he did? He went and started preaching. There was a change. Now, I, I, I could be correct or incorrect in saying this. I may need a nod from Beck back there. It took about 15 years for him to get into his ministry. That's different. But as soon as he was changed, he went and he had to go tell somebody about it. That is love's perfect result within a person. That it's the manifestation of love coming out through somebody. And it will convict you. And it's all on a plate of intimacy with Jesus. You guys catching this stuff this morning? Good. So, as we begin to close and, and jump into this time of ministry and, and just response. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here uh, as we also get prepared for our offering and just get ready for the end. Um, again, I'm going to challenge you guys to, to really... Uh, how do I say this? Uh, you know, there's sometimes when the Lord just says, hey, get up and do it. Yes. Instead of, uh, if you're ready or and if you feel like X, Y, Z. Alright? I'm going to be bold enough to say, I think he's asking some of y'all to do that. To just get up and do it. Now, I'm not having a conversation with him like you are. But I know when he's speaking to me, I can feel it right here, and it burns. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, and I'm just like, I don't want to be uncomfortable anymore, so i got to get up and go. This is a safe place. It is. Nobody's going to be judging you for anything. But let's not miss out on being obedient this morning and saying, Lord, you're calling me back to intimacy with you, and I'm going to respond. That's the challenge. He's calling us to intimacy. He's calling some of you guys in here to intimacy right now. And I'm just going to ask you to receive it by getting up and doing something. You guys can come on forward and pray for this offering. Um, you know, before it all fell apart in sin in the garden, um, intimacy was really what it was all about. So that they were created not because the Lord needed like a farmer and a zookeeper. He created Adam and Eve to walk with them in the cool of the day. Intimacy and relationship 
was the organeness, which is original purpose, where it started. And the sin in Adam and Eve in my study, which has really proven more profound as Alex has led us through this time in Romans, the sin of Eve originally was ingratitude. She was no longer satisfied in being thankful for just the tree of life. And her eye was attracted to maybe there could be more by the deceit of the enemy. <laughs> he was saying that, that God has something you don't and, and the truth was he'd given her everything already. Ingratitude was what created the chasm that separated us from relationship with the Lord. Maybe you could say it like this, that we could no longer walk in the coolness of the day. We would want to hide behind a bush because of our ingratitude. And you know as well as I do that when we get broken and convicted, like Alex has talked about, when we return to the Lord, when it's all finished, how do we feel? We're so thankful. We're so grateful that the Lord would even take us through such a hard and difficult and painful thing like confession and repentance. The altar this morning is, is a gate. Psalm 100 verse 4, I love this. This is where my study came out of actually. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Blessed be his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. See, when we return to the Lord, we've been given an invitation by him through his son to the ultimate highest level of intimacy with him. And we have yet to take advantage of it. I'm telling you, this first step to intimacy is walking through the gate of thanksgiving. It's stepping forth and saying that I have... I have resulted my brokenness and it's turned itself into, into gratitude. But the reason for his son to die on the cross and raise from the dead and for us to receive him by faith was to bring us back into this walking with him in the coolness of the day in the highest level of intimacy. And he's invited all of us to the same place, that level of intimacy with him. Where we can be man, I got me first service and I didn't think of, well, we can just be grateful perpetually. You know, for you men in the room that have asked the question, will you marry me to your wife? That, that shock and awe when she says yes. Living in the kingdom of God is that very moment perpetually, over and over and over, because we're continually grateful, we're continually satisfied. There's this overflowing level of thanksgiving that we have, and out of thanksgiving, now comes more and even more and even more intimacy. Yet we get distracted. We get broken, we get convicted, we get grateful, and then there's another tree, and we wander away. Oh, man, this is just really on me, because I see this in the life of Paul. He's finding himself in the level of satisfaction with the Lord where he's willing to say the very thing that Jesus said, I'll die on their behalf because I am satisfied in the Lord. So, here's what we're going to do. If you just stand up, does that make sense? This is not another message. This is, this is what's happening in my heart because of what Alex brought out. If, that, if, that, if, if you just want to receive that prayer, I just want you to put your hand on your heart. Now, that doesn't do anything. No, no special magic will happen. It just tells me there's somebody that wants that prayer. And it's going to be simple. Lord, 
Lord, I pray that those who are receiving right now would be satisfied in you. Lord, I pray for gratitude to overflow and overwhelm them. Lord, I pray that they would take their all uh, their brokenness to the gate of thanksgiving and walk through the door without it. Lord, I pray amidst all the things that are happening around the country and in our own lives and in our own city, we would just be full of praise, overwhelming with thanksgiving and worship. Do these things and say these things and believe these things because your son has made a way back to the garden. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song. Some of you may need to stay in the pews. Some of you may need to come up here and respond to the front. That's okay. Uh, we invite you to do that now.
because you called us to it. Come on, Jesus. Father, we love you. We need you to be with us as we go from this place. But Lord, I just pray that no matter where we're at, that we would respond to that call of intimacy. We would respond to you saying something to us. And we would no longer just kind of brush it off and say that we don't have time for it. Lord, we have time for you. We'll make time for you. You're longing to be with your children. And Father, whether we know it or not, our heart is doing the same. Is longing to be with you. So Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You guys are free to go.